0: Oh, hi.
1: Hi. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Relay Essay. I'm your co-host with the this, Nadia Rosemont, and I'm here with...
0: Adam Kewen. And this, I'm very excited for this episode. This is episode three of season four, and we are interviewing Janet Morrison.
1: Together. Together. <laughs> it was
0: our first interview together. We hopped in a car, drove down to Sheridan College mm-hmm. where Janet works, and were able to have a really fantastic conversation. It was good. It was very yeah. really good, yeah. Um, so I guess if you're listening, you probably know that Relay Essay, the whole premise is that it's a connected conversation about student affairs in Canada and folks, every person we interview, we ask them and invite them to share with us names of folks who they think we should interview next. So there's kind of this connected chain of, of conversations that we're having. I think there was at least three or four yeah. different people who mm-hmm. kind of recommended that we speak to Janet from across the board, from across Canada. So this was kind of a really exciting um, convergence of all of those relays.
1: Yeah, Jenna was able, also able, like, to squeeze us in for like 45 minutes, an hour in her day early in the morning, and yeah. it was it was great.
0: Oh, it was so great. I can't wait for everyone to, to hear what we, what we spoke about. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Let's do
1: it. I will declare that I'm not the type to have any yes.
0: It's worth all the shares, the number one podcast that's doing the best. Wanna hear what they have to say, along with all the guests that poppin' now on the way. All right, and we're, we're, we're live. We're recording. Okay, so this is a momentous interview for a few reasons. Oh, yeah. One is, this is the first one Natty and I are doing together. Yeah. And the second one is we have a very important person. Can you tell us your name?
2: My name's Janet. Uh, Janet Morrison, and I uh, I lead at Sheridan.
0: And what's your... What's your title? What's the role?
2: Uh, I am the provost and vice president academic here.
0: Amazing. And this is a semi-new-ish role.
2: It is. I've been here uh, 14 months. Okay. Some days it seems like 14 years, and (laughs) other days it seems like 14 minutes. So today I got lost uh, going to a meeting, and that's always embarrassing. um, Because 14 months seems like there's a bit of a tipping point where you shouldn't get lost like you're new, um, but you can't really be new. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> right? I, I have never, you know, uh, this is a theme with me. I've never been good in the in-betweeny space. So I'm really good as a total new person asking naive questions. Um, and uh, and I, once I'm settled in and find my comfort zone, that's, but the squidgy space, mm-hmm. always tough, always tough. So. Oh,
0: man. Yeah. Um. So another interesting part is, so this whole podcast thing is based on people nominating or passing the baton on to other folks, and you were named by, like, four different folks. I think it was Arig out at Dal, who's moving to McMaster now, and uh, I think Marty Williams suggested your name. I'm trying to remember. Sean Van Kunit. So your name came out quite a... So I was really excited uh, to have this opportunity to chat with you. So we're sitting in your office at Sheridan College. Um... I wonder if you could take us back <laughs> to—I don't know where is the best place to start. Um, but where did Maybe, you grow up? Yeah. Oh, yeah.
2: Uh, so I grew up in in the GTA in the in in Mississauga, just outside of Toronto. Uh, I have um, three brothers. Uh, I was an athlete growing up. Um, I talk a lot about that with students now because I think it. You know, formative experiences are important, not the be-all and end-all, but Mm -hmm. they shape you and um, influence who you are and what your priorities are. Um, I went to, part of being an athlete, I was injured when I was in uh, high school, and so I had been preparing for what I thought was my athletic goal, and I got injured, and uh, so that kind of goal, I had to pivot, not the last time I've had to Mm. pivot. But, so I went to university very young, so I, I was at university when I was 16, oh, wow. um, and uh, I, I went to the same university my parents did, same university my grandparents did, um, and I don't remember a whole lot about choosing university, so I, I remember my parents driving me. Um, I tell my mom and dad now that, you know, oh, I'm going to do parent orientation, and they scoff and laugh and say, well, we slowed down. Like we, we pulled out (laughs) to the residents and we slowed down. And then these students came out and they took your stuff and your mom and I were like, one down, three to go Um, (laughs) as they, as they drove home. So, uh, so yeah, I did my undergrad at Western and, um, uh, and then was confused about what I wanted to do next. And then after a bit of a circuitous path, Uh, Ended up at the University of Guelph, which I very much characterize as being transformative for me personally Mm. and professionally. And then I did, uh, subsequent to that, I did graduate work at Bowling Green State University in Ohio.
0: And what did you study at Bowling Green State in Ohio?
2: (laughs) Oh, well, I I studied higher education. Um, After I'd been working in the field for a while, I... um, I had the privilege of working at the University of Guelph with amazing uh, colleagues, many of whom are still invested and engaged as leaders um, in Canada and internationally. We have a colleague who's in Australia who uh, leads at an institution in Australia. Mm.
0: Is that Chris? It is Chris. Awesome. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's
2: actually shifted. He's doing consulting now. I think we're talking on the phone later today or tomorrow, I'm not sure. Um, but he works in international uh, student experience and student recruitment. Oh, okay. But, um, I, you know, Jennifer Kiesmat, who's the former uh, chief planner for the city of Toronto, worked with us in Guelph. Whoa. Marty Williams, who I know you guys <coughs> yeah. have talked to. Heather Lane. Uh, Jason Hunter, who leads at Humber. Um, John Conrad. I, I mean, amazing, amazing people worked on a team of residence managers, the first team of residence managers uh, at the University of Guelph. Um uh, just an amazing formative professional experience. So I w I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I went to yeah. I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. So um, and I, I tell folks all the time so my grandmother was a really pivotal influence on me and she used to say, Oh you'd be a, a great lawyer because uh, you know you look great in, in suits. So you'd be a great lawyer. <laughs> and, and that's you, a good you factor. You yeah. never lost an argument. You're always you've always been like that. Since you were little, you know, you just, uh, so I thought I wanted to be a lawyer and there comes this moment in life where you're like, okay, well, if that's what somebody else thinks, like, what do oh. I think? And that moment didn't, I'm in retrospect, kind of loath to acknowledge that, that moment of kind of trying to figure out what I wanted, who I was and what I wanted to be came late for me. And mm-hmm. so I got into law school after all of that effort. Mm-hmm. And then there's this two week period where everybody just assumes you've already, submitted your acceptance where I hadn't submitted my acceptance and, oh. uh, and said, no, finally, because it w- I knew it wasn't a good fit. It, it wasn't, it wasn't what I wanted to do. And so I went back to the university of Guelph to do, um, graduate work and, uh, on a whim applied for a job in housing and, uh, and that was life changing for me. Yeah, absolutely. But, but happened by happenstance, like not planned at all. Yeah. At all.
1: Yeah. Do you think students today still go through that moment where they're like, I think I'm on this path, and then suddenly they're like, nope, I'm over here. Absolutely. Yeah, probably. I yeah. think they
2: do. I think um, I, I think sometimes what happens is that we forget that we did that. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, we've, we've talked a lot, and Heather Wayne's work, I, I just think, is on empathy is amazing. So she's done this In Your Shoes project that I think has really heightened consciousness around <clears> empathy <throat> for students and their experience. The key is creating safe spaces where students can acknowledge that they... Because I think lots of them just kind of eat it, right? Like uh, Mm -hmm. everybody else seems to know what they're doing. And, uh, you know, the grown-ups around me seem clear about who they are and what they want to be. And so how do you create safe spaces where people can acknowledge, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we make it up. Like all of us fake it um, half the time. And so how do you create safe, healthy, um, you know, growth-focused environments where acknowledging that you're not certain is actually a a positive and a strength. Um,
0: Yeah, and I think telling the stories where we have had to pivot or change or gear shift because I think people see people... Like us, perhaps, it's is true. fully formed. Yeah. Like we, we're employed, so we're, we got the job. So check, but they don't know about the jobs we didn't get and the programs we didn't get into and in the mm-hmm. other opportunities that may have been challenging. Yeah. Hmm. So let me get. So you're at Guelph with this dream team. Yeah. And then, was this before or after Bowling Green? Before. Okay. And so then you went to Ohio, and was Heather there too? Were you there at the same we time? We went at
2: the same time. Okay. So we um, packed up our stuff <coughs> and left. Uh, um, for, we interviewed at Bowling Green at the same time and left. And, and, you know, Heather and I are very different people. So um, uh, she is incredibly creative and uh, honestly razor sharp, one of the smartest women I've ever met uh, kind of working with both sides of her brain. And mm-hmm. she's also incredibly humble. So, so, um, uh, and I was young, uh, and very keen, but didn't have her kind of polish. Uh, Heather's impressed me, uh, forever. And so, you know, that, that was kind of a ragtag and Marty was in that mix too at mm. the time along with others. And so very, very different, um, group of people. Taught me so much, even about things like language and about privilege and uh, what what my place in the world was. So Heather and I go off to Ohio. Um, Bowling Green is an interesting place. Uh, it is uh, very WASPy, like beyond description. Mm. Um, uh, white, first off, and very right on a political spectrum. And Heather and I, having come from Guelph in particular, it was culture shock. It was mm. absolute um, culture shock. And so it was lovely to have. There were other Canadians there, too. Chantal Joy, who leads oh, at Humber, yeah. um, uh, who uh, I admire very much. Um, there, there were other Canadians there. Um, and, and we most of us work with Carney Strange, who continues to be a mentor through caucus and other... Um, kind of organizational ties, so uh, we found our footing. It, it was there were parts of the experience for me personally that were very very difficult. So it was uh, it was fortuitous that there were support people around, um, but you know it's like everything else, kind of that happens. Uh, I didn't plan that. It just yeah, uh, you, you kind of figure it out, right? And ironically, around the Bowling Green piece, I think I I, I don't know what Heather's experience was, but you know, with mentors and people I trust, um, my mom and dad are really positive influence and, uh, kind of keep me grounded and aspirational. And, you know, we were looking at three different universities and I chose Bowling Green because, uh, it was going to be safe. And, oh. uh, um, and you know, that's a good lesson yeah. because it wasn't a safe space for me emotionally or physically. Mm. And, um, uh, you know, All space, bad things happen to good people in all kinds of uh, environments. So it wasn't... Yeah. yeah. So,
0: Mm. yeah. Um, And did you have... A thesis topic that you zeroed in on in your studies was there? I think this yeah. is such a good oh, yeah. like.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so so it's always interesting, right? So I'm looking at my bookshelves right now because somewhere on there is my dissertation. Because you know, once a year, you do need to crack the spine. <laughs> um, okay. So I so here's a, a good story for anybody that wants to go and do a PhD. Kearney used to tell me my um, supervisor and mentor he used to tell me that there's this. Um, moment in time, if you're kind of doing doctoral work, where you honestly believe you're going to do a dissertation and the planet is going to stop spinning in the direction that it has been and suddenly change course because what you've done is so riveting and important. And Carney um, Ever, the grounding influence, was like, let go of that as an aspiration, right? Like, it's just not... Uh, and that was certainly the case for me. You work all of this time and energy and focus. Um, and so my dissertation was on... was looking at... Um, uh, correlations between personality characteristics and safe sex um, decision-making. So oh. what kinds of pre-existing or um, imposed uh, skills or experiences help or encourage or discourage 18 to 24-year-olds from making good choices around their own um, uh, intimate, intimate relationships. Mm. And so here is the, maybe things have changed in 25 years, but, uh, 25 years ago, nothing influences that they all make bad decisions. That's it. That's it. It doesn't, uh, there's nothing. It doesn't, my hypothesis was that students who are more confident, Mm -hmm. who have stronger communication skills, whose sense of self, um, uh, you know, there there were a number of different indices would make better decisions nope no they all make bad decisions and it really sadly uh uh, doesn't matter the one thing that does impact is the uh, convenience of access to things that might help make you okay better decisions so if there are condoms in the hallway of your residence oh you might make a better choice but not because you know that using condoms is gonna it's because there was a dish of them on the way in and conveniently you picked one off yeah um, wow. Uh, <laughs> like, or or you had recently gone to a, a meeting, at, you know, where yeah. it was discussed, and so things were top of mind. And um, again, fortuitously, you yeah. and your partner had had a conversation, and so it just it, it happened as happens. Then, so oh anyway, uh, the very interesting story about that is that you go and you defend a dissertation, and in, in Ohio. Um, white conservative Ohio, you have to publicize the title of your dissertation, like, in advance. Oh. <laughs> so, um, we publicized <laughs> the title. My grandmother, who was, I don't know, almost 80 at the time, decides to come down, and she's going to, and I'm already very nervous about that, because, you know, mm-hmm. there, I was we were having conversations about... Um, masturbation and you know certainly <laughs> sex outside the confines of what she would have thought was
1: appropriate
2: <laughs> and there are people who are now protesting because I'm talking about sex for university students so now oh. there are members of the community who are voicing their because students aren't supposed they don't to have, have sex yeah, so we're not supposed to, to talk it. about safe sex what? this is like dark ages um
0: it sounds like an episode when you of talk about it, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, well, for sure. You're talking and about a so, you're and make then them my do grandmother it.
2: is there and there's these people expi- you know, ex- expressing their displeasure because we shouldn't be talking about safe sex. We should be talking about abstinence. Yeah, of course. And oh, um gosh. and I often Did you ever see that I think the movie is um I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's like broadcast news or whatever where the anchor is sweating so much that he can't get through the newscast <laughs> because he has such a That was me. At oh, my dissertation, gosh. I was a mess. I was just like Pouring sweating sweat. because you know there's this weirdness where these people are so close-minded and clearly angry, and my grandmother's sitting there and my mom is there, panicked, like looking. Up, she's an academic, and she was like, "Okay, we got to get through this. Like, it's <laughs> we got to try and figure this out." It was very, very. <laughs> it was surreal, like beyond surreal. And then it's done, and it's behind you, and the earth is still spinning, yeah, uh, in the direction that it's supposed to be, um, and you're done. <laughs> you're done. And you're done. And the, the pseudo-protesters go away. Yeah, and then they forget about you. And they oh forget about you, and you move God. on. Yeah.
1: Well, I guess talking to someone who's like, he's in the midst of his PhD or just starting, and I'm like, is that for me? I guess how did that experience, or has your PhD informed the work that, you've, right. that you do and the positions you've held? Because yeah. I don't know if it's for me, but I'm intrigued by right. like, that next level of education. I don't know.
2: Well, so I always tell folks who ask for advice on that front, there are um, uh, practical reasons to do a PhD, and then I think there are um, uh, more kind of ethereal reasons to do a PhD. So what I would say is that theory continues to inform what I do Mm -hmm. and how I do it. So I, um, I think a lot about human development in terms of what a learning experience is or can be uh, for students. Um, and so, and, and part of that is uh, for those of us, uh, you know, with any even marginal degree of imposter theory, there is mm. confidence and, um, and, a, and a sense of personal resilience that comes from knowing literature. Like that, that's quite fundamental, oh, yeah. right? So yeah. it's one thing to know the literature. It's another thing to kind of double down on your own kind of gut sense. And I think increasingly, as you get farther and farther away of what a learner experience looks like, right, as you age, Mm -hmm. being in touch and conversant and comfortable, you know, for me, theory is like like an old friend. It's like a warm blanket. You can go back to it. You can read new takes on theory. That reaffirms your sense of being a student-centric educator. So there are really good reasons, I think, from a theoretical um, um, practitioner perspective, The other piece in Canada, I have long argued, is practical, and and that I think, you know, there's a credibility piece that comes from sitting at the table um, with with academic leaders um, Mm. having earned the credential, and I still think that's a really important piece of the puzzle, and really good mentoring that I got from Peggy Patterson um, years ago. Uh, Peggy was at the University of Guelph with Brian Sullivan when we were kind of launching, and was theoretically grounded in her work went to the University of Calgary afterwards and and ran a higher ed program Peggy was always pulling us back okay practically what are you seeing what you know try to make sense of it through the lens of your lived experience okay here's here's some reading that might inform what's driving the behavior no. you're observing okay. or what types of interventions you might want to test or pilot um, uh, to try and shift or influence behavior so In the best of all worlds, you combine those things, but I I really continue uh, to feel strongly that coming to the table um, with leaders who have substantive areas of expertise in academic disciplines affirmed by a terminal degree, when we want to speak with positive voice about our capacity to influence teaching, learning, kind of discovery, uh, engagement, it's helpful. It's mm. helpful. And I, I don't think I you know, I, I don't think we're all that long out from where senior leaders it'll be a requisite right yeah. now it's preferred. Yeah. But I, I really I think for good cause that increasingly we've gotta move our rising stars mm. towards being both operationally and theoretically theoretically literate. Mm. So mm. which Thank doesn't you. mean yeah. it's easy. Which yeah. does not mean it's easy. And and you know, I've had the privilege of working with really talented um uh, new and emerging professionals find a way to make it work in your life, right? So I had really good coaching to do my PhD when I did because I didn't have kids, I didn't have, you know, I didn't yeah. otherwise have dependents. Uh, I didn't have a mortgage. I, I didn't even have a car loan. Like yeah. it was easy to do it. And I say to people all the time, easy for me to do it. Um, increasingly, I think you're. It, it's kind of like parenting when you're young versus when you're older. When when you're older, you, you got no. Like seriously, you're like there is a reason that people should be having babies when they're sick. Like biologically 16 17 18 because you have no energy when i yeah. had my kids when i was close to 40 i was tired yeah i was really really tired <laughs> yeah and um but you bring to it this this uh enhanced lived experience and a thoughtfulness and a patience and a time and an energy investment it just means you have to attend for the practical mm-hmm. pieces of it so find a supervisor who will incorporate some of your professional mm-hmm. uh, work into that look for programs that place a value on um, what your lived and professional experience has been or could be. And be very, very... It's an important choice, so be very critical yeah. about where you want to go and what the match is, because it's too much of your time and energy to mm-hmm. to, to, not yeah. do thoughtfully. Yeah.
0: So you've got your degree. You're starting... Well, not starting, returning to a career, I guess, yeah. in terms of, um, like, a practical professional position. So do you return... When... What was next? Did you right. return back to Canada immediately?
2: I did, so um, I left, uh, so Heather left um, Bowling Green uh, after her coursework was done, and she's so disciplined. Nobody was worried when she was gonna do her dissertation while she was working, Every, everybody was like, oh yeah, yeah, and she'll finish on time, because she's Heather Lane. And um, I, I was really committed to getting it done, And and the third year in Bowling Green for me was really difficult, but I finished and got done, came home and was really committed to working um, hopefully in in the GTA but certainly in Ontario uh, and getting that first job is hard like it's very hard and again you know the the folks that uh, I mentor I think either at least you know 20 plus years ago there were two things either you'd be um, underemployed relative to your academic qualifications like I you know for the first 20 well, probably not 15 years. I I worked for people who weren't as conversant with literature as I was. And Mm. so there was like a a squishy spot there. Um, uh, But it's also trying to get your operational expertise, like pull that along so that there is a a better twinning. And that took a lot of time for me. And I think, as I said, I'm not always good in the squishy space. So trying to figure out, you know, so for me, that was teaching on the side and trying to figure out how to make the package fit. But So my first job out of uh, finishing my PhD was at George Brown and so I was the Executive Director of the Student Association. It was a good fit in many ways because I'd always been involved in student leadership and I'd been the chairperson of the Student Senate and the Student Caucus at Bowling Green while I was there. It was a terrible fit in a multitude of other ways. Worst job I've ever had. With due respect to anybody who might have been there yeah. when I was there, might have been it might have been the worst thing for them too. I have no idea. Um, but I worked for a board of students, and uh, so there were twelve students on the board, um, and and they, on any given day, couldn't really figure out. Um, what their priorities were or what was... And it's a big enterprise, yeah. as many student governments are. Yeah. and huge. Um, and I found it very challenging. And I think part of that was my naivete and, and being, you know, trying to figure out in my head how theory and practice would combine uh, in my own kind of leadership um, identity. But it, it was also just probably not a great fit because sure. we were running kind of you know, late night pub and, and yes. open bar, uh, you know, stuff. And, um, while well, we were simultaneously trying to run food banks and, uh, supplemental instruction. And I, so some of the space I was really comfortable in and a whole bunch of the other sure. space just seemed like not a good, not a good fit. So I didn't, I didn't stay there very long. I think I was there maybe two years. Mm-hmm. And then, um, I, I got a call from York. And so I started at York Ooh, in wow. 1999. Yeah. And was recruited by, by a woman who, um, I didn't know she knew, through she knew me through somebody else through somebody else, um, and a, a great experience. I'm a huge champion of York. I think they do great space or great stuff in the in the PSE space. Wow. Yeah.
0: And so, about fourteen months ago, you made the the switch over yeah. to Sheridan. Yeah. That's a huge deal. Uh,
2: it, you know what? Huge thing for me. Um, interesting. So uh, I. My life partner, uh, is awesome. He, uh, he's probably, well, he is my most trusted confidant, but he knows me very well. And so we had a conversation one day about whether or not I wanted to retire from York, which I honestly felt like that would be okay. Yeah. I, I, I kind of grown up at York and, and York fills this niche in, in, I think, um, the post-secondary sector in Ontario, the students at York, are exceptional. Like they, they would teach me more about resilience and courage, like on a daily basis. Mm. Um, you know, I would say to folks all the time as a white woman of privilege, being educated and reminded daily, um, uh, about where, where folks struggle uh, kind of where it came from and what it looked like in live reality every day. Like, it keeps you very sharp as mm-hmm. an educator. You have to be very, very uh, attuned to be respectful and responsive in an active way. And I love that about York, because I really, you know, if, if, like many of us, you believe in the transformative power of post-secondary education, nowhere is that more ever-present than um, with communities that have been uh, marginalized. Yeah. And so York was, it was very powerful as an educator, um, and so I'd been there 17 years and, uh, and my goal always, so here's another lesson. My goal always was to be a VP students. Really? So I got that job, I was 42 and then it's like, okay, I'm a really planful person. Like, honestly, I plan wow. everything I, you know, and I had, didn't have any plan. It was like, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to be a, a VP students. And so I, you know, woohoo, that's great. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, we built this and I that was my fifth job at York so I I really felt like I was uniquely qualified for that job because I'd worked as a faculty member mm-hmm. I'd worked in student advisement and program delivery as an undergraduate mm. program director so on the academic side of the house yeah. I worked in the faculties as a senior leader so I knew how they worked I had earned I'd worked really hard to earn a level of respect from the faculty collegium I'd been a member of senate and so it kind of set me up for this um position that i was so excited about because uh, I came to that kind of quite circuitously right yeah Running money, people in space and faculties um, a campus-wide committees on teaching and learning that's not the progression typically in mm. our community in our field um, in, in student affairs and student services and so I get this job and I love it and I got this great opportunity to build a team and I still think the team at York uh, is exceptional beyond words and we do a strategic plan and we get three years into the plan and and Ken, my partner, says to me one day, like what What is your plan? So you've got this great strategic Mm -hmm. plan and you're all excited about it and people are really invested and (laughs) you talk about it like it's a mantra and, you know, a bit of a cult because you're (laughs) partners in student success and you're going and you're moving and and what is your Your, plan? Wow. And uh, (laughs) so are you going to retire? So if you're going to retire from York and, you know, our goal then is, uh, you know, are they, how are they going to remember you and what's your legacy and what's the gap between now and where you want that legacy to be Mm -hmm. and what does it look like? Um, or not. And there's this moment when you're like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not sure mm-hmm. that that's the legacy. Like, um, uh, and somebody called about the provost job at Sheridan and, uh, and I said, I don't like, <laughs> I, I'm Janet Morrison. Like I'm not, uh, I'm not, a, am not an academic. Okay. So this is, I think, an identity thing for many of us in oh. student affairs because my yeah. immediate reaction was... I'm not a VP academic. Mm-hmm. Like I think you yeah, have the wrong number. I do this with students around their growth and their development and their teaching and, and the quality of, uh, of their learning. Uh, and uh, the search consultant was uh, awesome and just said, you know, let's rethink this. Go back, have a look at the candidate profile. Think about, you know, what the next iteration of your impact uh, on... Post-secondary is or could be, and Sheridan's Sheridan was and is a great fit for me. Uh, this is an incredibly student-centered environment. Mm-hmm. It's kind. It's generous. People really care about learners here. Faculty members are invested uh, in their teaching. Um, uh, just uh, you know, beyond the pale, they're invested in students and and learning. Um, and so it was a good fit, but transitions always hard. Like yeah. change is always hard, change right? Is hard. Like I'm getting still getting lost and yeah. always. So you gotta, you know, um, uh, it takes like organizationally both physical. The physical space is a challenge, um, but but even culturally, organized, like who to call for what. And one of the challenges you stay at a place, a complex, politicized environment like York for seventeen years, and then you pivot to a new place. It wasn't, it's not just the hallways that are unfamiliar to me. It's, I I would know who to call to do something quite simple or something complicated. And you have to relearn that. The lens on that is imagine then how difficult it is. (laughs) Is that drilling? I don't know. (laughs) There is a, (laughs) this has never happened (laughs) in an
0: interview. It's a large drill. Oh, and it's gone.
1: Great.
2: Wow. (laughs) Well, so, you know, Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, you have to adjust all the time. But imagine what it's like for learners. Yes. You come from, uh, you know, imagine a small high school in a more rural community, and they land uh, at Sheridan in the middle of Oakville, or they land in Brampton or Mississauga, or, you know, in my former life, they land at York, which is like a metropolis, a booming metropolis. And so every once in a while, good to remind oneself that, you know the comfort and the continuity um the security that comes from sameness students don't always have that Mm. um privilege so it's been a good experience for me on many levels i miss york i miss the people principally uh the students the faculty and the staff this has been a good experience for me i'm very sorry about the noise that's
0: okay we've done some interviews in like bars and stuff there's really it's it's fine um so I imagine as you've transferred into a primarily academic role mm-hmm. at a college that there's probably been some aha moments that yeah. would be useful to share with other student affairs folks who yeah. would be keen to learn from your insights from the perspective you currently hold. Is there any anything that you would yeah. want to share?
2: Well, on some level, there's more similarities than there are differences. Okay. I think, um, uh, you know, for, for me, no doubt... Um, uh, personally and for others, there's also a sense of hierarchy, right? And, mm. and one of the lessons for me is that learning exists on a continuum. Um, post-secondary institutions exist on a continuum. So Sheridan owns or aspires to own this um, anomalous space as a bridge between um, uh, maybe a more traditional conception of colleges, community colleges, for, for some folks, um, kind of grounding, and a research-intensive institution at at the other end, Mm. we tend to kind of bucket. We've Mm -hmm. got colleges over here, and we've got universities over here, and the notion of a a transformed system where there are a multitude of options for learners relative to their own lived experience, but also uh, to their kind of career professional citizenship aspirations, where there are, are different points on that continuum. So Sheridan aspires uh, to continue to be degree intensive. So we're very degree intensive. We offer uh, honors baccalaureate degrees mm-hmm. in a multitude of disciplines, while still um, affording hands-on practical skills and experiences. And and that space really resonates with me because yeah. in my mind it's incredibly learner centric. Mm-hmm. And so that's, uh, you know, huge learning moments for me, like, you know, the day that, the first day that I spent at the skilled um, trade center, super cool, there's like massive machines and lots of noise and you've got the safety goggles, you know, there's a photo somewhere of me with the safety goggles <laughs> and the helmet and the boots on and, um, and I'm just fascinated by it all. Um, but the student who took me on a tour of that had a physics degree from the University of Waterloo. Oh, wow. So graduates from that program. Um, dad is a faculty member, um, Mm. at Waterloo and is saying like, I I don't know what I'm going to do next. Right. Mm. And so, uh, did, um, is working on his apprenticeship, uh, in, uh, um, kind of the electric, the electrical trade. And this is how practically, and he's got really cool ideas about automation and advanced technology, these artificial lines that we have long drawn in the same, I I actually think students are trouncing those. They are, never mind, I I think really fueled and encouraged by the new economy and, um, you know, political shifts, which are largely reactive as opposed to proactive, but but students are teaching us that those those lines, those kind of preconceived ideas are really artificial. And that they have to be artificial for students mm. to make meaningful contributions, both economically and
0: mm. and
2: socially going forward. So it's been a great learning. Students here teach me something every day, every day.
0: So. Amazing. Yeah.
1: Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about. So after reading your article and hearing about your caucus talk, I was really... Kind of empowered and really, I, even though I didn't know you, I was really proud of what I was reading because it was so, like strong and such a really great and personal share. So, just wanted to know how did it feel to share your story and your article? Um, what inspired you to disclose your own story?
2: Right. So, um, so, you know what happened to me in Bowling Green. So I was stalked for uh, about a year by somebody I'd never met before. Uh, whose physical characteristics were very um, uh, noteworthy. Yeah. And so it, it was, this was not a secret. Uh, it wasn't a secret at Bowling Green. And it wasn't a secret um, in my um, circle mm-hmm. of, um, of, of friends and family. Uh, and I always say that because uh, for many survivors, there isn't the public consciousness that, um, and, and so there are, you know there are a million stories of survival, and they're all yeah. kind of different and um, uh, unique and by nature personal. But the but so this wasn't unknown to people, so it wasn't like I was disclosed. It okay. wasn't as scary as yeah. it might have been otherwise. If that makes sense, does that make sense? Yeah. So um, and, and of import around the caucus community, um, uh, you know my very good friends in the profession. So Heather and Marty and. Jason, for sure, knew, um, knew what had happened. So, and, you know, and, and I, I was really careful, like Heather was in the room and she introduced me and she sat right where I, you know, there are are lessons you learn about creating safe spaces, um, over time. I think what, so it wasn't a secret and it wasn't like I had ever said, um, I'm not going to talk about it. I think what really propelled me was a level of engagement um, with the ministry uh, and with some of our um, kind of representative organizations, COU and Colleges Ontario, around the heightened, reheightened interest in sexual violence on campuses, and you know, having worked on campuses and well lived and learned and worked on campuses for um, you know now it's almost three decades, this issue has been ever present on yeah. our campuses. And the notion of safety, broadly defined, this is a tenet of our profession, yeah. um, student affairs. And when you know when the Gomeshi stuff and the CBC uh, media attention yeah. was really at its height, I, I was propelled by two things. The first was like, are we taught? Like, are, why are we still talking mm-hmm. about this? Where are you know we see? It seems quite cyclical. We get, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I had a friend in the U.S. Uh, which was not, there were many people in the U.S. defining themselves as the, the, the dean of sexual assault or sexual violence. This was, we were all, whether, um, whatever roles or responsibilities, consumed by it. So how do you decide to focus on that in the long term and actually uh, germinate, generate, sustain change? What was really, really frustrating to me is that in all of that, what what happened um, from my perspective was a very clear line in the sand between student survivors and um, uh, staff or faculty yeah. administrators were the bad guys and all of that they there's lots of pointing in they, mm. and they and on any campus, and I'm sure it's the same on yours, there is a floor in a building that everybody points to. So at York, it's always the 10th floor, and it doesn't matter, it could be 10th floor Ross, it could be 10th floor, it doesn't matter, it's the 10th floor, and it's a they. And I have been challenged for years and years about who is the they and mm-hmm. all of that. Is that me? Because I'm not, I'm not clear on that, and so you need right. to help me understand what my culpability is, and how mm. did I become part of the they? Yes. I don't know. Um, And so when that happened, I saw that schism between students, survivors, and by extension, advocates, and um, staff, administrators, um, uh, and by extension, obstacles to positive change and safety. And I saw that as really not just counterproductive, but actually um, hurtful. Like I was hurt by that. And I realized that I, the students that I was routinely supporting, um, and whose survival I so respected, had absolutely no lens on where Mm. what I hoped was a level of empathy. Like they would have no idea where that was coming from. And there was a you know this uh, on our um, our celebration uh, commemoration of December sixth the the year before the. the International Women's Day that I wrote the article, on our own campus, you know, I I had this, you have these aha moments where you're thinking, okay, if one in three Mm. um, members of our community is impacted by sexual violence, and 80% of the employees on a college or university campus, let's say for argument's sake, um, are university college level educated, Mm. what makes us think that we're not kind of, part of a broader community of survival. Wow. Um, Yeah. And I thought it was important to consciously, overtly bridge that gap. Mm. Um, And and you know what? Uh, People were very supportive. I say that it wasn't a secret, but um, I I was quite shocked by how many people read the Toronto Star. (laughs) So I didn't know that my neighbors read the Toronto Star. I didn't know uh, that, um, you know, my kids' coaches... Read the Toronto Star. Um, uh, like a, all these, your other communities are yeah. Interse- so you know you yeah. talk about different lives, Like, yeah. You have your multitude of lives, and you pull them together. And that was a great example of kind of the intersectionality of my own yeah. lived existences, right? Mm. I take such. I did talk to my kids beforehand, and okay. they they were young. Yeah. But I had to find language to explain to them what might become. And I honestly never believed it would, and it was temporary. And and one of my fears was I did not want to become, um, you know, for lack of a better word, the poster child on sexual violence. But I wanted to be a voice of um, compassion and credibility. Um, And I was really invested in bridge building. And I did have some very positive feedback from survivors that I'd worked with previously, some of whom I disclosed to and others I hadn't, who who said, like, this is really helpful because it means that when I'm interacting with folks in the conduct office or in security or in Mm -hmm. the VP academics office, I have to be conscious and clear that there are survivors everywhere. And just as I don't want to be identified or... Um, or for it to be my entire identity, they may not either. Mm -hmm. And so I have to come to the, I I could come to those conversations, um, from a different perspective. Um, so yeah, yeah. Interesting conversations with, uh, I think at the time my son was 10 and my daughter uh, was seven. So trying to, so they have a, you know, largely about safety and about, um, you know, your own space and, um respect.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's incredible.
0: Mm. Well, I, having been one of the people in the room at the caucus conference in Winnipeg, I just want to say thank you very much for, Mm -hmm. for sharing it. I think it, it sparked a lot of really important conversations, I think, and also um, kind of galvanized some, galvanized some conversations that were already taking place. It was a really, I think, an important catalyst. So
2: thank you for that feedback. You know what, I think it was, it was easy at that moment. I'm a bit concerned because (coughs) you know, ebb and flow, we're we're ebbing a bit right now, and so we've got to make sure that we continue to make good, long-term, sustainable, incremental progress on making our campuses safer. Um, But I really, I was empathetic with folks who were feeling very beaten down like with the us and the them, yes. is, you know, I always talk with my kids about bucket filling versus bucket dipping mm-hmm. and feeling beaten down all the time. We know from our work with students when yeah. they feel beaten down and their resilience is low and they feel uh, unappreciated, undervalued, dis- disrespected, yeah. learning stagnates. And so, how do you, you have to, we have to yes. adopt that same philosophy around our own professional development and growth and energy. So.
0: Mm. Um. Well, I feel like I have a a natural gear shift because we have (laughs) just a few more minutes and (laughs) we have to, we have to start uh, wrapping up our conversation. Uh, But are you okay to go into some rapid fire questions? Sure. Is that all right? Yeah. Nad, are you feeling good about it? Let's do
1: this.
0: (laughs) All right. Do you want to do the first one?
1: Okay. Any new year's resolutions?
2: Uh, No. So I used to make commitments to learning something new every year. And so people who know me one year, I tried to learn tap dancing. Another year I tried to whistle um, learn how to whistle, both massive failures did not go well. Um, so no, don't make new year's resolutions cause they're too annoying and, um, impositional on the people I love.
0: Or like whistling wild tap dancing. Yeah, Just like. yeah, yeah. That <laughs> colossal fail. Yeah, it doesn't
2: work. doesn't work.
0: Um, what was the last book you read?
2: Oh, um, so I'm almost done, uh, Seven Fallen Feathers,
0: Okay. Yes.
2: So I'm pretty sure that's the title. I'm in the middle of it. So um, I made a commitment at a uh, circle that was done by our indigenous leaders uh, to uh, a number of us made a commitment to uh, do reading to Mm -hmm. better inform our perspective on indigenous ways of knowing. And it's awesome. So I heard a podcast on it on um, CBC. Uh, The author is a CBC contributor. um, It's excellent.
1: Last Netflix binge? Oh, The Crown. Yeah. I'm so
2: glad you asked. I finished it during the break. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I started Orange is the New Black last night. Okay. Um, But I I didn't have Netflix until I was planning a trip to India uh, for, for the college. And so I got Netflix so that I could download stuff to watch on the plane. Um, uh, and for, for other reasons the trip didn't happen so I decided to watch The Crown anyway <laughs> yes and, uh, and now Orange is the New Black I, I'm on episode three and it's excellent it's excellent yeah
0: amazing Mm -hmm. Um, so we got this from one of your blog posts. What's one Gucci thing that's happening for you right now?
2: (laughs) Oh, Gucci (laughs) thing. Love it. So my kids, Did I use uh, the term uh, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So my kids continue, uh, to use that all the time. Oh, I've got a really good Gucci thing. So I do, um, I, I, really committed to community uh, engagement, can't tell students that it's important if you're not modeling that. And so I've long been both a board member and a champion of Holland Bloorview uh, Kids Rehabilitation Hospital, awesome place. Um, and so every year they do uh, some type of uh, a charitable event. So last year, they I got to wear a cape for a week um, oh. uh, because the kids at Holland Bloorview are superheroes. So we got to be superheroes for a week. And I had students at Sheridan in the theater department, Make My Cape, which was awesome. It's hanging over there uh, underneath my warm scarves. (laughs) Um, uh, This year, uh, my partner and I are doing a different charity event, and the theme, it's a dress-up party, and the theme is uh, Villains and Heroes. And so the um, uh, makeup for theatrical effect. Students are making Ken and I up to, I I will post it on my blog. It's February 24th. Stay tuned. Okay. Okay. Um, I, my only caveat is I will not wear a bodysuit. So okay. I, that fair. is all I've said, <laughs> and uh, and so the students are working on this uh, to help me out as a project, and so and I'm going to learn in the process about where they are in their learning and what types of outcomes uh, they've achieved, and I'm really really excited You're about it. just team. even being in their studio is yeah so cool yeah. it's amazing um they're they're genius
1: amazing they're genius. what would you say to first year you
2: oh hang in it's going to get better mm-hmm. like. Yeah, first year was not a positive experience for me. And I've got nieces and nephews uh, that are navigating that space, uh, from the outside anyway, quite successfully. But just hang in. Hang in.
0: Um, what is something that folks would be surprised to learn about you, other than the tap dancing and the whistling?
2: Oh, <laughs> um, I'm an introvert. And uh, we, were, we were actually just doing a leadership-intensive Uh, program here, and I think people were shocked by the fact, you know, we talk all the time, uh, whether, you know, whether you're a Myers-Briggs person or not, Mm -hmm. that notion about where you get your energy from, and I get my energy from, uh, it's internally derived, and I'm married to an extreme extrovert, who um, totally derives his energy from (laughs) gaggles of people, (laughs) gaggles of people, and I like quiet, rejuvenating um, moments of solitude gotcha yep. any
1: nicknames that you are comfortable sharing <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh so uh well so my nobody in my family would know me by janet i i my whole entire family calls me jake as opposed to janet and so that's for people that when there's an intersection, which has been kind of interesting because when I worked at York, there wasn't... My whole family lives in Oakville and Mississauga. Okay. And so it's actually been... It's interesting because Sheridan is more often in the paper. There, you know, there's more... they, They see they have more um, interaction with what I do now than they used to before yes and so there have been a couple of moments when people have called me by what they think my you know <laughs> I think they forget that I have another name and so there have been a couple of moments one where I was out for dinner at a restaurant and, and you know my mother was like oh I don't I, that was awkward and I was like for you <laughs> it was very awkward for me but my mother thought it was awkward too so yeah there you go
0: um second last question if you were to make a time capsule that if opened in 100 years would tell a story about what it's like to work in post-secondary today what would you put in it
2: oh that's a great question i don't know you know what i i would have to think hard about artifacts that um represent the the privilege it is to play a role in students developing selves Hmm. you know like when I wasn't sure, you know, at that decision point where I was like, "Am I going to stay at York? Am I not? Who do I? Who do I want to be? And and uh, what's my legacy?" I, I went out again at at Ken's um, with Ken's encouragement and talked to like four or five different people in different fields, and and again I'm an introvert. This was hor- horribly yeah. difficult. So my partner kind of lives by this commitment that every month. he, he develops, to build his network, he asks one, one person for another name of somebody that he could meet. Not unlike your, yeah. y- you know, y- oh, your nice. strategy, right? So this is apparently the recipe for great networking, and he has an enviable network. So I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll try it. Oh, mm-hmm. it was so hard for me. So you, you're you supposed to meet somebody and then ask somebody for a connection to somebody else. So I met with somebody who worked in hospitality, like was a general manager of a um, a sports and athletics club. I met with somebody who was... Um, uh, worked in the banking sector, I worked with somebody, or I met, I met with somebody who worked uh, in athlete development, and I left all of those conversations with greater respect for those folks and their leadership, but just an affirmed commitment to wanting to impact human beings and their development. That mm. sounds very Pollyanna, but there is a privilege to being able to Play a very small role in the development of a student because when what we do works, the change yeah. um, between first point of um, contact and orientation through to the opportunity to you know to hood them or to confer their degree, it's it's amazing what sure. that happens and it it's not every day and and we fumble sometimes and have to recover but so artifacts that would really. Um, kind of demonstrate and mark that opportunity for impact. It's uh, it, it, it does sound kind of Pollyanna and utopic, but it's, a pr- it's there would be pieces
0: about that for sure. I love that. Yeah, I love that.
2: Finally, who should we interview next?
0: Mm. Uh,
2: so, you know what? I continue to be uh, inspired and impressed by... Um, uh, the next generation of learners. So mm. you should, you know, interview your your peers for sure. I, I so there's other folks. Uh, if you haven't talked to Heather yet, uh, I would absolutely uh, recommend Heather Lane. She just uh, a, a, a an exceptional human being, and her work on in the sh- in their shoes project. I've had her in to talk to mm. leaders here. I, I just think it's very powerful and and moving. Um, uh, I, I you know. There's lots of other leaders who I think uh, are, are moving into senior leadership positions that I admire. There's, so David Ipiam is a leader at um, York who I had the privilege of supporting as a student leader. Oh, wow. And um, um, continue to kind of support, and I'm honestly in awe, it, 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 the, the profession and students Uh, are in good hands because he and others like him are working to kind of struggle how do you manage you know he's he's doing a big job and he's uh, you know aspires to do uh, a PhD and I think that's the space that people need to increasingly talk about right how do you because because typically a job in in student affairs isn't like nine to five right so how do you layer on top of that the demands of um Of living your values, so being community engaged and and volunteering and uh, mentoring and all of those things. And on top of that, academic coursework. So you're finding a way to do it, but it's not easy. It isn't. No,
0: no. But David's awesome too. That's a great suggestion. I love yeah, David. Yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. And being at he's at Glendon, right? He so is. I also oh. am fascinated when folks are at a campus that isn't necessarily yes. the main campus, and that's it's a, a francophone lines. campus. That's yeah. su- that's such he's an even interesting angle. And, yeah, um, fantastique.
2: And he does a oui. ton of stuff. Like so, so start today following him on Twitter. Because okay. He does a whole bunch of really cool things on um, on resilience. Uh, he does a bunch of stuff on partnership. His partner works in the sector too. Uh, and she's awesome, and uh, so I think he would be a great next
0: pick. Fabulous suggestion! Yeah, yeah, thank yeah. you. Thanks, Janet. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm really grateful. This was great. I'm so flattered oh. that you
2: asked. I hope it was a good use of your time.
0: It was. Yeah. Oh yeah. yes. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you. Oh, that was so good.
1: We did it. That was we a good job. It. That was yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Oh. If people are interested in following Janet on Twitter to continue the discussion and discovery of her. She could be found at, at Dr. Dr. Janet, capital J, Morrison, capital M, on Twitter. Adam, if people want to tweet at you and hashtag Relay Essay.
0: That's right. I am also on the Twitter. I can be found, my my handle is at Adam Kuhn, K-U-H-N. And if folks are tweeting about this podcast at all, I encourage you to use hashtag Relay Essay. Mm -hmm. Um, We also kind of try to track the hashtag CDN. if you're using that too.
1: And I could be found at, at Nads Roses.
0: Yeah. So before we wrap up, we just want to give a shout out to Adrian Ross, who does our theme music. We're so grateful for Thank you, Adrian. Often shared with us that it's, I think, some of the favorite, the thing people like most about the podcast <laughs> is our theme music. <laughs> uh, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's, it's a thing. Um, and also just wanted to invite folks. Um, we have our SoundCloud account and we have our kind of ability to make these podcasts. So if anyone is curious about... Uh, getting there—if they have a recording or any information or podcast that they want to get out there—we're happy to connect and happy to help mm-hmm. um, and leverage some of the resources that we've developed over the time to help uh, share some other types of stories about student affairs in Canada or higher ed in general.
1: Yeah, don't be scared. Don't yeah, don't hesitate. Please reach out.
0: Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All right, thank you so much. This was great. Bye. Bye. <laughs>